Everyone and welcome to Shot Reverse Shot, a film and television podcast in which we talk about a theme which changes from episode to episode. My name is Edwin Davis, and joining me, as always, as he was just moments ago, <laughs> if people are listening to this uh, episode in the order in which they were released, what is Matt Risby? Hi, Matt. How's it going? Hi. Literally, nothing has happened between the last <laughs> time we spoke and this time, um, yes. other than I made a cup of tea. Um, and that was about it. So I've really got nothing to report. And there's been no news. I've just checked. There's been no news broke in the last 20 minutes. So we're all good. Yes. So this is a bonus episode of the podcast in which we're going to be talking about Star Trek Discovery, which uh, ended its first season last week. And we talked about the show when it first debuted. We watched the first couple of episodes and talked about it as, uh, you know, people who had very different relationships to the Star Trek uh, franchise. And now that the the first season is done, we wanted to kind of like check in and see how we feel about how the story of Michael Burnham and the Discovery and its crew uh, unfolded over the course of its 15 episodes. So uh, Matt, we'll start with you as the the person who was more sceptical about Star Trek going in. How did you feel about the the season as a whole? Well, when we did the um, episode like a few months back... I was very cautiously into it. Um, I, I think I said that it was not as bad as I thought it was. Mm-hmm. But I think secretly, be like, kind of, I was behind the scenes thinking, "Oh shit, what have I agreed to watch?" <laughs> because the first two episodes were now looking back at it, really weak mm. and not really that reflective of how the the show panned out. Mm-hmm. Like as the season progressed, it kind of started to find its feet. There seemed to be a lot less kind of sludgy dialogue and like set up to wade through. And I have to say, I hugely enjoyed Star Trek Discovery. And I became one of those people who on Monday nights, when the, the kind of it dropped on Netflix, uh, it was the first thing I did when I, I got home. And I watched this week's Star Trek and there were people at my work who were like, you know, months ago, oh, you know, I've finished whatever season I'm watching on on, Net- on Netflix. What should I watch next? And I said, well, I just kind of started watching Star Trek. Do you fancy it? And they're like, oh, I hate Star Trek. And I was like, oh, so do I. And we're <laughs> all into it. And now we're all Star Trek people, Ed. Oh. Um, but I'm not going to I'm not going to go back and revisit the other stuff. So don't get any ideas. Okay. Um, but I, I, I really, really liked it. I really enjoyed the cast mainly, who who managed to sell the entire proposition to me, plus a few curveballs that were thrown in, which, unlike I've said to you before on this podcast, I am an easy audience member to fall. To fall. Right. Some of these U-turns and, 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 like, shock twists, like, people have been like, well, yeah, that's it's obvious that was going to happen. Mm. But I was like, what? <laughs> Screaming at the TV, like... Oh my god, he's a bad guy this whole time. She's come back from the dead. <laughs> what? Uh, I was, you know, I was like, well, apart from one moment, should we have a spoiler warning? Yeah, let's have a spoiler warning now because I think, mm. yeah, to talk about what works and and maybe kind of like some of the flaws of the show, you kind of do have to talk about where the story goes. So consider this, everyone. Spoilers from here on in. 
Yeah, you've been warned. Um, the, the one U-turn that I don't think anyone saw coming, which was when uh, one of the most interesting characters on the show, um, played by uh, Shazad Latif, uh, or Clem Fandango, <laughs> if, you, uh, if you're into that, yeah. um, where he just kills like one of the nicest characters on the show mm. just really quickly and brutally, and you're just like, oh, ah, maybe he's not dead. Oh, no, he is. But yeah, like other than that, all the kind of the twists and turns and, and the kind of the plot leaps and everything, I was completely on board with every time. I was like totally suckered by the whole thing. Um, but it was it was the cast that made it work for me. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what kept me coming back for more. Whereas like a lot of the other Trekkie stuff got lost on me, like mm. the end of the show. Like I know that means something, yeah, but I don't know what it means at all. So, but I'm just excited to find out. It's almost like it's a whole new show to me that, like, I've forgotten everything I, I, I kind of hated about Star Trek, and this is just the beginning. Which is interesting because a lot of like Star Trek people I've seen on Twitter are like, "Oh, this is bollocks." Mm. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can kind of see that in the. For me, I, as it went along, I kind of increasingly felt that making it a prequel seemed like a mistake. Right. Not, not in the sense that it demonstrably makes it like bad because it's not like they're overly explaining things from the old show all the time but just in the sense that there wasn't a huge amount about it made me think this like this needs to be set before the other stuff except for like bringing back harry mudd who was like a character from the original series or like you say at the end when they encounter the enterprise which kind of feels felt a little bit like weird empty fan service but mainly because it happens and then the season ends Whereas if it was like they encountered them and it became the subject of an episode, it probably would have felt a little bit more organic than being like, oh, there's the Enterprise. Bye then for a year, Uh, Mm -hmm. which kind of felt a a little weird for me. And I think this may be just because I would watch the show in kind of like spurts. I wasn't watching it week to week Um, when you watch like two or three episodes in a row. I think the twist, 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 twist approach to storytelling can get a little bit tiring mm-hmm. um because it is like you are just it, it kind of conditions you to expect like oh what would be the shocking revelation uh at the end of this episode which character will turn out to not be who they said they were and while i think that it can make a very exciting form of storytelling like lost which is one of my favorite shows ever despite its its many problems kind of functioned on that level of storytelling for a while, um, which was just like every episode had to end with a, a, a shocking cliffhanger or a sudden revelation about a character. I think that it kind of helps sometimes to have an episode in between shocking twists to kind of give it a little m- more room to breathe. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that you you wouldn't have needed too many of them. Like, uh, you know, you could have added like just two or three episodes, uh, extra episodes this season where it could have like calmed down a little bit and there were some episodes that felt a little bit like that like the the, the two episodes where they were on the the planet where they discovered the the spore that allows them to to power the the jump drive and everything where mm-hmm. it did felt it felt a little more sedate because they were staying in one location and they had this kind of uh interesting plot that un- unfolded over two episodes and i think a few more with that sort of pace maybe could have made it feel a lit a little less uh, indigestible um, at certain points, particularly the, the the latter half of the season after they came back from the break where they were in the mirror universe and it was just like barreling ahead with plot all the time. It was like, God, someone, just someone take a breath 
because it seems like you're constantly barreling through uh, through plot at this point. Mm. The whole mirror universe thing was something that I didn't think I'd get on board with. Mm. Um, but after a while, I just thought, do you know what I mean? I'll have it as long as Jason Isaacs is there. Yeah. Um, just keep, that's it. What I mean about the the, the cast keeping me going through it. Um, then you know I was on board with it. The idea of making Tilly the mm-hmm. the the evil bastard of the yeah. mirror universe was pretty funny. Yeah, that did have my favourite individual joke of it, which is when they're listing off all of her. Uh, all of her nicknames that she has had because of being this brutal, ruthless killer who's kind of left, uh, who's left like wreckage across the entire galaxy in her wake. And the last one that they read out is Captain Killy. And uh, uh, Saru says, yeah, it's not very inventive, <laughs> which, I <kind> of thought, <laughs> which I thought was really, really funny. That's uh, <laughs> just as a, as a joke, works perfectly well. And then her. Um, Clear discomfort with being forced into that role as the bubbliest member of the Discovery crew was uh, something that I really liked. And I kind of, I like I say, in terms of like the fact the show barreled through plot, it would have been nice if you could have had a, a little longer with her trying to navigate that before it was like, okay, Giorgio is alive in this universe and she is uh, the emperor of the universe and she's evil. Okay, uh, Jason Isaac is, spoilers, uh, you know, he's he's actually bad and he's planning this whole thing as a coup. Like a, a little bit more breathing room around this kind of like barreling forward plot may have made it feel a little more even keeled than it was, or at least allowed you to kind of like settle into getting to know these characters a bit more before kind of like pulling the rug out from under you and saying, ah, they were a different person all along. Which is why the the Jason Isaacs reveal actually works pretty well for me because you do spend like a whole eight or nine episodes getting to know him, and even though maybe you suspect something's not right about him just because he has he seems a little secretive and he's not telling everyone about all of his plans you do get to know him and he does seem like a a, a more or less decent sort if someone who's maybe dedicated to winning in a way that's detrimental yeah i mean like i said i didn't see any of this coming <laughs> but if i go back and watch it now there'll be clues the whole time mm-hmm. but yeah yeah not for me how much of it relied on Sonequa Martin Green being good. I think and a lot. She pretty well pulled that off. Yeah, because obviously she is the the entryway character. I think the the biggest misstep the whole show made was that entire first episode. Just mm-hmm. it being the first episode because it really did feel as if you could have started with the second episode with her being brought onto the Discovery in handcuffs and then you kind of reveal her backstory as you go along but i can understand they wanting to do something bigger and flashier to kind of draw people in but like you say it, it, it did feel as if they were leaning too hard on techno babble and like i can't remember what the line is but you you in the first episode of this we did you quoted like one of the opening lines which was just nonsense mm-hmm. um which clear which seemed almost like designed to off be off-putting Whereas I feel like that second episode and the episodes that followed it felt a little more grounded and human, even though you're in this borderline psychedelic story about essentially magic mushrooms allowing you to travel through time and space. Mm. It was um, also notable for um, some very potty language. Mm. Um, in this, which I did not expect, which no, um, well, that was like 
if you're trying to convince someone that this new series of Star Trek isn't going to feel like old Star Trek, then they seem to be doing that. Although they didn't really do it again. No, yeah, it did see it. It seemed kind of appropriate within the story in that they had just done an incredible thing, and so someone's scratch shouting fucking a kind of excitement kind of made you think, okay, you kind of earned that one. It wasn't like they were just constantly swearing and trying to make it seem like, oh, we're edgy Star Trek now. Like why I imagine Quentin Tarantino's often muted uh, Star Trek movie would, would feel like in kind of like the worst possible universe. But, but yeah, it did see, even when it felt justified, it also felt like wildly out of place because it didn't feel like they took liberty of the fact that they're on a streaming service and though uh, yeah, uh, CBS All Access over here and Netflix worldwide to really push the envelope. I guess some of the violence, particularly once they got to the Mirror Universe and they were showing this real militaristic version of the Federation, kind of got a little more intense than maybe you would expect, but it still wasn't really going too far. Mm, yeah, like, I'd, I'm not sure how much they're going to be able to carry over into next season. Are they, are they, mm. they have definitely been... Yes, they've been picked up for a second season. Yeah, because are they going to have, like... I mean, I know Doug Jones is busy. Yes. Um, he's got the new uh, What We Do in the Shadows TV show, mm. and obviously he's in a, you know, soon-to-be Oscar-winning movie, playing a fish. Like, the others, I imagine, are tied down to pretty kind of long contracts. And it's been successful, right? People have liked mm. this. Yeah, well, yeah, it's been it's been really successful. I think certainly... I mean, I don't know if CBS is, are, have released their numbers for, for viewership, but it's one of the most discussed shows online because of the global reach of their deal with Netflix, which is probably the the real key to its success, honestly, because, you know, how many people have CBS All Access? Maybe people signed up for it, you know, the, the kind of like the Trek audience, but then it would only be in a single country. The fact that it's global means that it has a huge reach and everyone can more or less be in on the conversation at the same time. Like Americans have like a 12-hour head start, but that's more or less it. And mm-hmm. I think I think most, I think even Doug Jones can fit it into his schedule because the, the, the good thing about it being on a streaming service, like it doesn't necessarily have to fit the usual production schedule of of tv shows and also the fact that now tv is kind of an all-round thing that's not the where the idea of the the broadcast season feels like more of an anachronism it's probably a lot easier for him to commit to both and to to work on both shows as long as uh, even simultaneously if necessary Mm. so is has this season of discovery proved that you know, a big flagship property like Star Trek doesn't have to exist on a week-to-week network. Mm, I would say that it's demonstrated that in a in a real big way. I think I don't know how many other properties you could say that about. I think you know Star Trek is unique and it's been around for so long and it has such kind of a a, a broad and dedicated audience. People of multiple generations who have watched it and and everything, but. I think it has demonstrated pretty clearly that you can take something like this and and put it on a streaming service. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you are 
uh, embarrassed by it <laughs> or, you know, in the terms of CBS, not putting it on a broadcast or that they're doing it, you know, to kind of just be like, eh, we'll try this as an experiment, but if it doesn't work, we don't, it, we're not too invested. It, it can be something that you can really put your full weight behind and it ends up being like a huge, a huge success, uh, which I think this has been by, by pretty much any measure uh, even if all we can go on is that lots of people seem to be tweeting about it because, mm. because no one will give us stats, but certainly CBS's uh, response to it in, in commissioning it for a second season and having pretty good results in terms of their shares for the quarter and everything suggests that it's, it's done pretty well for them. Mm. I think we're going to find out the, well, the nearest thing we're going to get to seeing whether this kind of works or not. We're going to, well, probably the star Wars show on the Disney streaming channel yes i guess it's yeah. going to be a very similar one but then that has no precedence as a tv show mm. yeah yeah it's very much uh i guess you know that there have been star wars tv shows but yeah nothing live action in in mm. that way nothing on that scale you know it's all been animated shows which you know have have done very well and have been very acclaimed often very acclaimed but yeah uh it doesn't have the institutional memory of something like Star Trek where the original series was in constant rotation for 20 something years in syndication. And then there was a, a period from like 1987 till the early 2000s, 2005 maybe where there was a year didn't go by that there wasn't a new Star Trek show and sometimes multiple Star Trek, Star Trek shows running concurrently. So Mm. Yeah, so Star Trek, Star Wars, despite being ubiquitous and one of the biggest kind of things culturally, it doesn't really have that relationship to TV that Star Trek has. If, so someone like yourself who's seen a bit of the old Star Wars stuff, uh, Star, Star Trek. Trek stuff, <laughs> yeah. um, it's easily enough done. Yeah. Where does this kind of fit amongst the pantheon? I think in terms of first seasons, it's probably the best first season that any Star Trek show has ever had, which that but that's more kind of damning with faint praise because pretty much every version of Star Trek has had a really bad first season. Um, <laughs> right. But this one is the one that is the most fun, certainly, and the most confident in the sense that everyone seems to be ploughing ahead and, and seems to know what they're doing, If even if the show itself sometimes seems a little messy in some of its story-making decisions, like where you're like, why does Giorgio want to take Tilly on this away mission considering it's not the Tilly from her universe and she's just kind of going to be there. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it, it, even when it makes decisions that seem weird and head-scratching, everyone's going forward with complete confidence and it's still fun, mm-hmm. which, you know, is not something you can say about, say, the first season of Star Trek uh, The Next Generation, where even, like, where Patrick Stewart, I think, basically said that he lived out of his car because he was so certain that the show was not going to make it <laughs> and he didn't want to relocate to... Uh, relocate to los angeles to film it mm. this it's, is uh, very different <laughs> it's uh, f- uh funny that like you say why did giorgio bring tilly along with her in that instance it's so she could get high with clint howard that is yeah i guess uh from uh the the viewer's perspective that is the joy of it is that she can get high with clint howard uh and also leave you feeling a little high just when she then goes off and apparently has an alien threesome uh, and teaches those <laughs> and teaches those concubines uh, a thing or two about sex. Uh, yeah, 
which which really felt weird. <laughs> but, you know, Michelle Yeoh seems to be having a hell of a time, which uh, was nice. It was nice to see that uh, her dying in the first episode wasn't the end of, of her involvement with the show because mm. she was a really good character, a really fun presence. And it's like, oh, I guess that's it. But then, you know, you forget, oh, yes, obviously, alternate universes, Star Trek can, can find ways to bring people back. Mm. And I know it's like a sci-fi show, and all that, but that bit where like Michelle Yeoh just went off and had the space threesome, um, like my instant thought as soon as it cut to that was like she was wearing a basque under her uniform, <laughs> and I was like, I was like, that's not standard issue. Mm, yeah, well, maybe, maybe it is in the in the emp- the Galactic Empire or whatever. Yeah, called. in the in the mirror universe where everyone's just a dirty bastard. <laughs> but no, I I, I think uh, it was a, a really entertaining season of television even if like it at times it, it kind of made some some weird decisions uh i really enjoy that cast i think uh we haven't mentioned anthony rap but i think that he is he is really really very good on the show i think he played you know something that happens on sci-fi shows uh with with kind of a frequency that can sometimes make it boring you know a character going into a weird catatonic state or they're seeing they're having like prophetic visions and things like that it can be can be really stale but i felt that he he managed to make it feel real particularly once uh you know he starts having visions of meeting himself which you know he got to play two versions of himself and it felt really fun mm-hmm. uh that's the sort of thing where when you have uh, an opportunity for that in a show you need a really good actor to to really sell the conceit otherwise it just feels kind of like cheesy and hackneyed and i felt he brought a uh, a depth of feeling to that stuff, particularly after he woke up from his coma and realised that his that the love of his life was dead, that really felt uh, it made it feel a little more real and impactful than all of the you know shiny chrome sci-fi exterior stuff of it would make would lead you to feel it would be initially. Was this season produced? under a little bit of a cloud with Brian Fuller leaving and some late changes to the showrunners and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And if that was the case, do you think that now they've, they might have a bit of continuity with the people pulling the strings for season two, we might get some of the kinks ironed out? You would think so. I think it seemed to be in, in the fact that the final episode more or less kind of resolves everything and leaves them with something of a blank slate to start with. Mm-hmm. It does mean that, you know, they can kind of go forward and think, okay, this was uh, a slightly rough landing maybe. And and the fact that the show went through a lot of different uh, permutations, you know, initially, like the whole thing with Brian Fuller's approach was he wanted it to be an anthology show where each season would take place in a different era of Starfleet's history with a different cast each time. Um, I feel like there was some remnants of that in this and that it did feel like a fairly self-contained story hopefully this means that they're going forward they can say okay we've kind of got a sense of what works which characters we need to emphasize which performers are really good uh what tones work well for us and and maybe expand on that in the second season uh and maybe not adhere too much to kind of like a big serialized arc in the way this season does maybe find more room for kind of fun in between the episodes to give people like me a chance to kind of like breathe and be like, Oh God, everyone just stop running. Just just have have a sit down and a drink or something. Yeah. 15 episodes felt like a weird length 
It's not kind of normally seasons of twelve if they're longer shows or mm. ten, or yeah. if they're or they're shorter shows, kind of you know eighteen to twenty four. But fifteen seem to be caught in the middle, and I don't know whether you know bumping up to eighteen or twenty episodes might give it a little more more wiggle room. Yeah, that's the, the sense that I got. It's like if you if you made it shorter, it could maybe be a little punchier and a little more focused. If you made it longer, then you have more room to kind of like play around, maybe develop some of the, the, the supporting characters a little more. This was like neither one nor the other, but still more or less worked for me. Mm. So our verdict is more or less worked. <laughs> more or less worked. Pretty, pretty solid, I would say. And I'm excited to see what they do with it now going forward uh or uh, and if they actually do anything with them meeting the enterprise at the end of the other one or they'll just start like six months later doing something else mm. so I, I like i said at the, the, the top of the show i don't really know anything about star trek i know that the end of the show the enterprise they met but didn't he say hailing captain pike yes um who i believe is that in the jj abrams like movie is that the character played by Bruce Greenwood? It is, is that Pike? Yes. yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, in the original pilot of Star Trek, which ended up not airing, uh, Jeffrey Hunter played the role of the captain, that he was called Pike, and then when they retold the show, he was recast and replaced with uh, Captain Kirk. But in the chronology of the series, Captain Pike was still the captain of the Enterprise because they ended up taking all of the unused footage from that episode and using it as flashbacks for a future episode uh, right. where they just kind of like, where they reveal that like Captain Pike has been horribly mutilated. So he's just like in life support in a black floating box. Uh, and then they cut back to these episodes from the, to these clips from the earlier episode to kind of explain how he got there. Uh, oh. So, yeah, so that's kind of, I guess establishing in continuity is like okay, this is still before the, the the Kirk becomes the captain, but not quite, uh, but still like fairly close time wise. Mm, well, it'll be interesting to see how they they kind of get their way out of that one. Yeah, or if they just kind of throw their hands up and say, "Yeah, this was kind of like a silly joke for the end of the season to kind of get the fans excited." We're, we're not going to deal with it. Mm, yeah. That's, that that always goes well. Mm, yeah, the internet has no problems with people just dropping plot lines and uh, <laughs> not caring about it. Oh, except for yeah. the part of the uh, internet that really loves Friday Night Lights, where it's like, mm. yeah, all that stuff at the end of the second season, you can kind of just sweep it under the rug. Yeah, when Jesse Plemons like, murdered some dude. What? Mm -hmm. Did that happen? No, yeah. I can't remember that at all. Yeah, before he murdered a bunch of people in uh, Breaking Bad. But yeah. at the time, the idea of Jesse Plemons murderer is like, no, that could no. never happen. Now, I'm surprised when he isn't murdering someone, when he isn't, like, in the post, he doesn't strangle Nixon to kind of, he like, really help the post out. There's that bit where he disappears to make a phone call. <laughs> um, we don't know what happened. We never see that kid who's making the lemonade again. <laughs> God, that's, a, that's such a dark joke. <laughs> yeah, one foot, one, a bit of post fanfic for anyone out there just to end the discussion of Star Trek Discovery. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah. So that that's what we think. I, I look forward to uh, checking in again when Star Trek Discovery comes back. Uh, thanks everyone for listening to this little bonus episode. Uh, you know, iTunes, Stitcher, all that stuff. 
Yeah, <laughs> and it, it, I'll just say to listeners now, if you're expecting me to change my mind about Harry Potter or Doctor Who, you've got another thing coming. Mm, yeah, that's still a, that's a much heavier lift. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Too much track to lay there. Yeah. Uh, anyway, bye everyone. Bye.